Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Welcome to episode 65. I asked you, as listeners, if you were celebrating Lent before I recorded this conversation with Gina Colvin, and I wanted to give a special shout-out thank you to all of you who gave me the snarky answers like, I'm giving up religious traditions for Lent, etc. I see what you did there. You're very funny. But it made me think quite a few things. I don't enjoy the idea of Lent for any religious reasons at all, not at this point in my life. But my attractions and practices around Lent can absolutely be described as secular and purely self-improving. So I'm going to try to make a case for secular Lent, and you can let me know how I do. But seriously, Gina Colvin is the true body of knowledge and experience as I learn from her deep dives into Lent and what it means to her. I hope you can enjoy this chat with her as much as I did and walk away at least with some inspiration as to how to dive deep into yourself, meditate, give up things holding you back or not bringing you joy, and replace them with things that fill you with happiness. So happy Lent and happy Easter. And just as a side note, if you get bored with the Easter egg hunts in the backyard, try the craft beer six-pack Easter hunt. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll put a link in the show notes. Again, happy Easter! (laughs) Cheers. Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. I have a beloved guest. I'm so excited to get to chit chat with Gina Colvin today. Welcome, Gina. Thank you very much, Colleen. It's very lovely to have a chat with you again. And through the miracle of modern technology, we are communicating across time zones and you're actually in the future and it's crazy to me. It blows my mind. It's just... Yeah, I know, right? I can (laughs) can tell you that it's a very, very warm day today. So you've got lots to look forward to. That's good because uh, uh, Tuesday here was full of rain. So I'll I'll be looking forward to sun on Wednesday. (laughs) You can go swimming. You can go swimming tomorrow. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Probably could. It's probably true. So Gina, for the like two of my listeners who might not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about where they might know you from or find you? Um. I am a blogger and my my blog is lying a little dormant. It's called Kiwi Mormon and that's how I began to, uh, that's just how I entered into this progressive Mormon game. Uh, And I'm also the host of a Thoughtful Faith podcast, which is part of a family of podcasts by the Open Stories Foundation. Um, John Dillon, of course, takes the flagship, hosts the flagship Mormon Stories um, and he's much more of a heretic than me. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then Dan with a spoon as well. And also Natasha Helfer Parker. That's right. So is it just the four of you then? Is that four? I don't know. John is his own thing. So uh-huh. sometimes 
were like, oh, okay, that just happened. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> Got it. I always wondered how that went down. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to your journey through spirituality and your relationship with Mormonism and your, um, you're no longer monogamous when it comes to, to religions. And I just love listening to your beautiful journey on a thoughtful faith. And I know that you have recently taken up practicing Lent. Uh, maybe it might not be recent. How long have you been doing Lent? It's, it's not that recent. I, I observed aspects of Lent in previous years, but last year was my first serious dive into Lent. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, uh, I really loved the journey. And so I've been sharing the joy of Lent ever since. Yes, you have. <laughs> now, can you give my listeners, just so they know kind of in case they don't know who you are or haven't listened to you recently, mm where you are in terms of your relationship with Mormonism. And then uh, I guess you did kind of hint to us that you took a deep dive in Lent last year. Maybe give us a little uh, cliff notes of how that went for you. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe your listeners or yourself can help me figure <laughs> out where I am with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, I'm not a servant of Satan. Um, <laughs> so... Um, well, I mean, many people will know that I escaped by the skin of my teeth, excommunication, which yes. pleased my husband no end and various other people. And I'm still trying to be happy about that. I did say to my bishop in the church discipline, I said, you'll actually be doing me a favor uh, if you excommunicate me. There are so many benefits, but it was the right thing to do to have me hang around <laughs> uh, I, Are you sure? I've been to church. I think so. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always open to the surprise of God, and it was a God <laughs> moment. It was, it was a terrible thing to have happen, but I, I, I will say that my church discipline was a God moment, which is not an endorsement of church discipline by any stretch of the imagination. The barbaric, terrible things, but Agreed. we kind of had to come to Jesus moment, and everybody who was so supportive in the run up to this. The sharing of blessings is actually was a profoundly ta spiritually tangible effect on everybody. So I think, um, you know, God was in that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what that means for me, it, it's very difficult as, you know, many people know when you, you look at the tradition of your origins and of your upbringing and you think I have, I literally have no place in this. And that's kind of where I'm feeling. I don't know what place I have. As an everyday kind of pew Mormon, I do love parts of my community. My husband's still very active. Mm -hmm. Our kids split their time um, between the Anglican church where I worship. And um, my husband comes and does Anglican things with me. And I do Mormon things sometimes. Mm -hmm. So... If you look at all of the markers of Mormon identity, which a temple recommends, and garment wearing, and <laughs> keeping all of uh, this litany of rules, and observing the one true church rhetoric, and sustaining the prophet, and all that means, which is just one weird thing after another, um, I don't necessarily fit in. I'm a child, I think, of the Restoration, but not necessarily any more of the Latter-day Saint 
Yeah. Interesting. I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is, Colleen? It keeps a changing. Keeps a changing. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but not in the ways that, that I'm mean, hoping that it would change. Not funny how that works. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do feel Mormon because I feel deeply, deeply Mormon. People ask me, do I feel Anglican? And I'm like, no, I don't. I feel Mormon. Mm -hmm. It but is, I think that's an heritage of identity. Our yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's an identity. It's a cultural and even a spiritual identity, I think. But what you do with it when you've hit your head on the ceiling, when the church says, okay, we can't entertain any more conversation about what you're interested in or how you're growing or, or what your faith, your changing faith life looks like. We can't accommodate that. What do you do with that? I don't know. I don't know. Neither it's do I. It's a lot of rejection that you have to kind of work through. And I guess you're, you are very recent in the throes of that still. It's, what month did the, did the disciplinary council happen? Uh, December, just before December. Christmas. Mm -hmm. mm. And I did catch your episode uh, that so many of those, the women put together a book um, of poems that were written specifically for you. It was beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on Amazing. that and exploring that it is and and now i understand what you mean by it really impacted the whole community because you have such a, a a beloved and loud champion voice for a lot of the issues within you know progressive mormonism and feminism and, and i really really appreciate the the loud voice that you have i really do oh thanks colleen i did want to share with you i think kind of the direction i want to take with this conversation just so that my listeners know why I'm talking about Lent on a, a post-Mormon podcast um, is that I practiced, I practiced Lent as a Mormon, uh, I don't know, kind of in my later years as a Mormon, because I needed something more from my Mormon practice. I really wasn't feeling it. It, it felt like a bit of rebellion to take a bite from another religion, the, the great and abominable re religion, no less, because I kind of took a lot of hints from Catholicism and, and the Catholic Lent. And I, I didn't do a whole lot of like research and study because I didn't really that's not the person, that's not the Mormon I was. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of research, but I knew the idea of Lent, which is that you give something up, generally a vice or something that is very extremely meaningful on a daily basis to you that you can sacrifice. And that sacrifice will then help you to, um, you know, turn your thoughts to Christ during those 40 days. And that's just kind of the understanding I had as a Mormon. And so that's kind of what I took with in, into my practice. And so I would give up, like, I gave up all of the normal, like I gave up sugar, I gave up carbs, I gave up chocolate, you know, you give up all those things. And, and I finally like, ran out of those things. And, and I didn't really like doing that. And so after I've been doing that for a few years, I decided that what I wanted to do going forward was instead of giving something up for Lent, I wanted to adopt something into my life for 40 days. So I wanted to adopt a new, a new habit or a new practice or something that I wasn't prioritizing in my life that I could then focus on for 30 days. And so it didn't always have such a spiritual aspect to it. I mean, it, it did when I was a Mormon and I could use that time to actually you know, have a meaningful spiritual practice on my own outside of the walls of church, because that always meant more to me anyway. But now I think looking into, you know, what I want to do for Lent, 
like this year, my goal was to, I wanted to take those 40 days to have a meaningful self reflective and time where I would do something to build myself, whether that be meditation or go to a therapy appointment or journal about something that had come up that I was thinking about, you know, because of therapy or I'm in a very like introspective place in my journey right now where I'm, I'm striving to overcome my fear, to be vulnerable and to learn who I am and be authentic to that person. That's kind of where I am. And so that's kind of what I took into my Lent practice goals for this year. And then kind of as I was writing those down and then thinking about talking to you about Lent, it occurred to me that I am now practicing a secular Lent because I have no, no God. There's no religion that's backing my practice of Lent. It's completely secular. And I kind of made that change without even thinking about it. Like I'm still doing this thing called Lent. And then everybody's, I asked, I, I posed the question on Facebook in preparation for you and I talking. And I said, is anybody out there doing Lent? And I kid you not, I got so many responses like, yeah, I gave up religion for Lent. I gave up traditional religious practices for Lent. And I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. That's nice. That's tricky. <laughs> And, it, and that, that's when it occurred to me that I'm like co-opting a religious practice in, in the name of secularism. And I'm like, yeah, I, that's interesting. So then I was like, great. So I would love to invite you, Gina, to teach me, if you would, about Lent and kind of what it means to you, how you incorporate it and what you gain from it, if that makes sense. Wow, that's a big ask. And, and, and might I say that I think any practice that has you divesting yourself or letting go of things, you might call it not in the name of God, but I think that's a, that's a spiritual practice, right? To let go of things. Yeah. It's kind absolutely. of antithetical to our normal rhythm of accruing things all the time and getting stuff and getting stuff and getting stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, as I said to you before, I think uh, all secular all spiritual practice must be secular in some way. Otherwise, of what relevance is it? Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't intended as human beings to sit on the top of mountains and just meditate our lives away. <laughs> so where there is relevance, I think we're doing spiritual work. And, you know, I and mean, I think that may, what it requires is, I think, for us to get a working definition of what spiritual is. Mm -hmm. What do you think spiritual is? To me, spirituality is... Um if you buy into um, a greater power, then it would be something that would link us together. But I think like, I'm not, I'm not real sold on greater power, higher power. But what I am sold on is that we as human beings have an intangible way of interacting with each other and finding meaning in each other. That something that we can't put into words we can feel it sometimes. And, and that's kind of how I, and, and spiritual on a, in a personal level is turning inside and being in tune with you and, and what is best for you and, and trusting that your own intuitions are, are what's right for you in your life and, and trusting yourself to know what is best for you. I think that's, to mm. me, that's spirituality, being in tune with the ethereal. And I noticed a couple of times, and if you're not listening, if you're not watching this, uh, when I asked that question, Colleen put her hands on her heart 
<laughs> on her heart three times. Every time she says spiritual, she put her hand on her heart. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a, a beautiful uh, kind of a, an unconscious recognition that there's something more to us mm-hmm. than just, you know, our flesh and bones, that there's something more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think one of the problems with religion is that we often understand that as a religious yes. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and religion is troubles spirituality, actually, mm-hmm. I think. Religion creates words or ideas or uh, rallies loyalties around those very tender aspects of our heart selves. Uh, and, and um, you know, and it needs to repent of some of what it's done to us. I mean, I think when you put your hand on your heart, I think what you're saying is that there's something more to me mm-hmm. than just this, this body. There's something more to me. There is an intelligence. There's something sacred and holy about me. There's something at the heart center of the self, which speaks to a bigger identity, you know, a more gracious identity, um, a larger self. And a lot of people say, okay, well, that's God, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that we are built, we're, we're built with the things of divinity. Yes. And I mean, uh, the way I understand or think about spirituality is that there is this sacred hum that runs through us, this mm-hmm. holy hum, and it, it creates in us an impulse to see things as sacred and beautiful and beloved. Uh, and when, when that's alive in us, we become much more than ourselves and we see how others are much more than what we see. And that's just such a beautiful, a, a, a beautiful human reflex. It's so profoundly human that goes, that has spanned the ages and it goes across time, this same conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and I go back to the problem with that is that people word that in different ways and they they leverage our most tender heartfelt feelings and they create religions and traditions and cultures around us that kind of ossify us and incarcerate us which isn't to say that all religions are untrustworthy but we always need if we're looking for a spiritual life if we're looking to animate ourselves spiritually and become uh and to kind of journey into our interiority I think that we need to be somewhat suspicious and all churches should be suspicious of themselves. They're not the the point. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think they think they're the point. Beautiful. I I agree. It's that like pushing away from theology, you know, theism and and the God Mm. influence yet still holding up and maintaining that I have something within me that I claim as spiritual, but you can't claim it. That's not yours. It's mine, you know, and, and I get to mm. interpret it and honor it how I see fit. That's kind of how, how I interpret what you're saying, because I feel that too, all of it. Indeed, indeed. And I think that there are practices and there are traditions which help us and guide us into that inner space, that uh, interior, uh, interior divinity. I think, I mean, there are some things that are really, really trustworthy, Uh, but often they're somewhat disambiguated from the normal workaday church thing. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, as Mormons, we think, okay, it's enough to go to church. 
But I think most people who live the religious life say, well, that's just something we do. Corporate worship is just something that we do. But it's hardly ever the place where we feel transcendence or we feel, no. you know, God touching us. But all of the traditions, people are like, okay, we just got to do what we got to do. And mostly it's going to be really boring. Maybe the sermon's going to be good. In the grand scheme of things, particularly, and you know, I'm most familiar with the Christian practice, and we have our own symbols, and we have our signs and our metaphors. We mm -hmm. also, in Christianity, have our practices which draw us into the unknowing and the unknowing that kind of the chasm of spaciousness that exists under our hearts is actually, it's almost, it, it's very difficult to word that, but there are so many practices that bring us into that place, mm -hmm. uh, which is just, there's a, a, a sense of connectivity there. There's a sense of the true self being known Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so religion, we're always in this relationship with religion. We can kind of harvest from religion some of the most, you know, some of the wisdom traditions and practices. Mm -hmm. But when we start getting mixed up with church, that's another thing altogether, right? Right. <laughs> so, so teach me, Gina, teach me a little bit about Lent. Like what's the history or the, the Lent practice that you have dove into for the, dove into for the past year? Like tell me about what, what that is historically or from a, a, a teaching basis. Okay, well, you have to start with the liturgical year, right? Have you heard of the liturgical year? I've heard of it from you. So, <laughs> okay. So a little bit about that. <laughs> okay, so there are six seasons throughout the church year. Uh, and there are two, two words to know, liturgical year and also lectionary. Okay. So what happens, and, and the Roman Catholic Church has been really a forerunner in organizing our time uh, across the practices and seasons so the liturgical year really starts with advent and that's the run-up to uh christmas and if you look at the liturgical year it's it really covers uh kind of before christmas to after easter the rest of it is all ordinary time so this is the mo this is the most busy season um you know uh of the the church year and what happens is that all the readings the lectionary which are the, the readings of which our sermon should be based around and okay. a teaching and a practice and reflection should be based around uh, are calibrated to uh, arouse uh, reflections on the liturgical year so the liturgical year is really about kind of a metaphor a symbol for the birth and the death uh, birth life and death of jesus christ mm-hmm and we're supposed to see us in the person of uh, ourselves as uh, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. So Advent is the run up to the period of preparation. What do we need to take with ourselves on this journey into mortality? So uh, that calls on us to add stuff uh, mm -hmm. and to add practices and think about how we can be, how we can journey um, with others. Is that wine? Cause that is a huge glass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be wine shaking, Tina. Yes, it is. <laughs> is it too big? Awesome. <laughs> it's not up to me to say what's too or anything. I'm just like really looking forward to the end of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what shape you're going to be in, but that's okay. No shame at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We call it communion, right? Yes. <laughs> You can't talk about, you know, all of these Catholic traditions and not have some wine. I, 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 
It is white though, not red. Oh, well. <laughs> it's, it's totally in keeping. Um, so there's Advent and that leads up to Christmas, which is a celebration of the birth. And then of course there's Epiphany. And, and um, I'll go back to Christmas. And Christmas is about newness, bringing something new and radical into this world, something that will change the world. And Epiphany is about change. It's about, wow, I kind of didn't realize, if you think about the wise men coming across the plains and having to enter a new culture and a new way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what Epiphany celebrates. And then we have just a, a short break uh, in, uh, of what we call ordinary time. Mm-hmm. And then we hit Lent. And that's usually the 40 days, not including Sundays, preceding mm-hmm. the Easter, preceding Holy Week. Mm-hmm. And of course, Holy Week begins with Maundy Thursday um, and then uh, Good Friday and then the Easter Vigil, the quiet day is Saturday and then, and then, uh, and then of course, um, Sunday, Easter Sunday, which we sell in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and really it's a metaphor about our own becoming, our own birth, our own dying to the self. So, and then the rest of the year, right up into Advent and then the next six months is what we call ordinary time. Now, if you go into Roman Catholic or Anglican or what we call high church services, you'll mm-hmm. see the vestments or the clothes that the priests wear are in the colors of that particular season. Hmm. So purple is the Lent year. And if they're wearing green, you're in ordinary time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I missed out Pentecost, which is red, a couple of, like a couple of weeks of red, mm-hmm. which, in which we celebrate the gifts of the spirit. What part of year is that? So, that's right after uh, Holy Week. Okay. Which is Easter? Yeah, Easter. Okay, cool. So in hearing you describe all this, the way you, Gina, describe it, and I don't know if this is how mm. it really is, but if I had asked a, a very Orthodox Catholic person to describe Lent or the liturgical year, perhaps they would have described it the same or different. But the way you describe it, it can be there's no reason why all of that can't be secular, why all of that Christ talk can't be metaphorical. And, and I think that's another thing that, that even as a post-Mormon, so many of us, myself included, are really disinterested in, especially Mormon God. And by, you know, by default, the Jesus Christ thing is a little like, about that and then that's kind of how I am but I've I've learned and I've listened to people talk recently about how they can utilize the Bible and the Jesus Christ story as myth to to bring purpose to our life and to use as an example and to bring out the good things that that might have occurred you know in the life of Jesus Christ and so when you describe Lent and all of the rebirth and bringing something new into the world and and you connected it to yourself a lot and that sounds great like I I see nothing in that that would be offensive to my spirit if you will you know like that sounds all like it can definitely be taken secularly and still bring about great personal growth and awareness I think so I mean yeah it's not requiring and I don't think responsible religion requires people to believe or to assent to certain propositions. Mormonism does. Belief is another thing. Of course it does. And that's why we don't really practice it because we're kind of beyond, we're post-belief, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, if people ask me what I believe in, I I think I'd be a bit jumbled. Uh, Yeah. 
I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I feel in my body and in my bones and in my spirit uh, uh, that this journey, this spiritual journey that I have, which is being sustained by Christian practice, mm-hmm. uh, is, is worth my time. But what yes. do I believe? I don't, I, but is there a God? I don't know. I, it, it, was Jesus the son of God? I'm kind of toying at the moment with the idea that it makes more sense that Jesus was the illegitimate son of a teenage girl who was raped. It would, make the, it would make the cross for me make more sense. Why mm-hmm. does Jesus need to have like a, a godfather? Why can't he become whole and unified? The, the lowest of the low become whole and unified. I mean, for somebody like me, that makes a hell of a lot more sense than imbuing the Jesus figure mm-hmm. with all of this kind of divine attribute that he just inherits by some kind of weird gene thing. Um, you know, I mean, that's part of the Christian conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you have to entertain these heresies. So, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, when we say secular, I feel like I'm reasonably secular. Yes. Uh, in as much as I don't, I'm not religious. I'm terribly religious without being religious, do you know? Like I don't, I, the religions don't necessarily have my loyalty. They might have my ministry mm-hmm. and they'll have my, there'll be a really important place for my worship. Mm-hmm. But I'm not religious in that. I don't think that they're the be all and end all. Like they, they keep the conversation alive and that makes them useful. Yeah. I, and, I, and I love my communities. Yeah. I, yeah. I see the way that, that you utilize religion in your life is that you, you, you obtain from them what you need instead of what perhaps we were taught as Mormons is that you give everything to Mormonism and you, you, you give yourself and you become nothing and you give it all to yourself. And there's like this, this erasure of individuality and so I, I, the way I see your take on religion and the way you use them is that you take what you need and you maintain yourself. And, and like you said, you, they don't have your loyalty. You have your loyalty. And you use the things that you find meaningful. And, and that's important that you allow yourself to find meaning wherever it may be. You're kind of non-discriminatory when it comes to what could hold meaning for you in your life. I'm a slut. I'm a spiritual <laughs> slut. And that's okay. <laughs> I think it's okay. I mean, loyalty. I'm really loyal to my worship community. I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're mostly really, really old people. Yeah. Uh, and I just adore them. I love any opportunity I have to worship with them and to serve them because they're the kindest people, mm-hmm. just the kindest people. And what a privilege it is to be with those people. And I have this radical priest who's just wonderful and entertains all sorts of ideas about the heavenly mother and the divine. And we get to shape and design the worship services and I get to lead. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful corporate life. And I think good Christianity pays attention to the corporate, Mm -hmm. but you have to choose your community as well. It should be life giving, not death bringing. Absolutely. I mean, we as humans are very, community oriented and then that does that is i see i I can see that is why religions are quite corporate and you know group and community centered is because we are communal beings and we we as you do you know we gain so much from each other you know that we can do Mm. things on our 
your own, but then when you bring it to a group and you can share something, it becomes even that more, much more meaningful. And those things indeed, can be indeed. spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you have to give people freedom. And I think that's a really important Christian practice to give people freedom and to have people, uh, to trust people's journeys and mm-hmm. to their own interiority and into understanding their own spiritual uh, lives and how to animate and animate them and understand all of those movements into maturity, into mature faith, into mature spirituality. Like that's the work of um, you know a pastor and a minister and a priest is to provide those opportunities and allow those metaphors mean what they will mm-hmm. at any given time. And I think you know, Kimmy, I love Eucharist. I just I'm a Eucharist bitch, um, <laughs> so I just go. To- <laughs> um, and I just think. You know, nobody's saying, what do you believe about this? Have you been a good girl? I go and I receive it and I get something out of it. Now, nobody's asking me to account for what I get out of it. I just am left to make of it what I will. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really nice to have that freedom. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So tell me about what you, what does your practice for Lent look like right now? Because we started last Wednesday. So what are you doing right now, Gina? Oh, last Wednesday, of course, was Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And that is an important day of symbolizing our need for repentance. And I know people can get twitchy the minute I talk about repentance. <laughs> um, um, you know, and when you get the words guilt and repentance and sin, all, you know, all us Mormons and a lot of Roman Catholics too, we, you know, mm-hmm. we're kind of tarred with the same brush mm-hmm. um, and have our own special needs. Uh, you know, we start to think about self-deprecation and, you know, I'm not good enough, et cetera. But I think you, you, we, we're blessed um, with the ashes of the crosses that were burnt from Palm Sunday mm-hmm. of the previous year. Oh. And, we, and that signifies that we are, we're signing ourselves or we are coming out as people who are imperfect and we have things to do. We have parts of our lives that need to be cleaned up Hmm. um yeah and and i love ash wednesday i love ash wednesday you know when you look around and everybody's got ash on their on their foreheads and Mm -hmm. there's sort of an honesty to that we're all in the same boat of needing reconciliation and renewal and repentance if you will there are things that we need to get rid of we've got pathologies and we all share that common identity for that one moment and that, that Ash Wednesday uh, brings us into the first Sunday in Lent, which is really your first day of Lent proper. Mm-hmm. And, and Lent is around three things. Lent is around prayer mm-hmm. and fasting and almsgiving. And so during this season, I sit with a reflection and, you know, most people who practice Lent and sit with a reflection about what... Uh, what they need, you know, what they might need to pay some attention to, some seasonal attention to. And it's about what needs to be let go. Okay. And for some people it comes pretty clear. Like I need to let go of my addiction to sugar. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that addictions, all addictions are sort of pathologies. I mean, whether or not you want to kind of factor God into that or not mm-hmm. uh, is your business. But all addictions are kind of a, have their own pathology and they need to be dealt with. And this is a really great season of reflection. Um, so there are things, so I bring into that practice, into Lent, a prayer practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of being spiritually formed along the Ignatian spirituality path, which is 
it's a whole different story. But anyway, um, it's quite a muscular way of approaching spirituality there. It comes from um, Loyola of uh, Ignatius Loyola uh, of Loyola in Italy. So anyway, he kind of, or yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a it's a it's a Roman Catholic tradition. Uh-huh. Um, and my spiritual director is a Roman Catholic, and she's been trained that way. And I just I just I love it. So anyway, so prayer practice. Uh-huh. Uh, I pray the examine, which and I add that into my Lent practice. And what is that? <laughs> okay, <it's> spelled E X A M E N, like examine. Uh-huh. And so it's a it's a particular kind of prayer. Uh, you can get it on an app, so it helps you to uh, focus in on what s- there's something that you perhaps need to um, that is a shortcoming, and you do it on a daily basis. So I pray the exam, and I also pray the daily offices, okay, which are uh, very unwarmed. Actually, I once again I use an app. It's called Common Prayer. Uh-huh. And you have a morning, an afternoon, and an evening office. And I just read through the office, which is, is, is a prayer, and it contains what we call a collect, a particular kind of prayer. It's a meditation on the scriptures. Now, Mormons do this thing when they get to prayer, like response, prayer and response. They're like, do I believe that? You know, like they, they're very, very diligent and serious about each word that they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to think about it as sort of a, a spiritual poetry. Prayer is kind of a, a read prayers as spiritual poetry. Mm-hmm. And so we, we read them lightly and, and don't require them to answer all of our existential questions. <laughs> they just become so there, more so of there's a, that. A, a practice, a thing that you're doing to it's help you get somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. 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 And as you've been describing prayer, prayer is one of those things that I've had a, a tricky relationship with after leaving Mormonism because I stopped believing, but I still liked prayer a lot. I liked prayer a lot because it, I found a lot of comfort in the, 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 you know, the, the bodily practice of prayer, the, the thought processes around that surround it. And, you know, when shit hits the fan and I need comfort, it helped me to find that quiet moment, whether I believed that I was mm. praying to a deity or not, it's still, helped me to kind of recenter and gather my my anxieties and my panic and kind of you know meditate and so mm-hmm. as you're describing the examine it, it sounds very meditative and, it, and it's a daily it practice is. where you were saying that it would you know you would focus on the thing that you had chosen I'm like that's meditation perfect that's right that can be secular absolutely it all can be secular. <laughs> I'm making a defense here because I got so much shit before we recorded. I'm like, God damn it, we're going to make it a secular Lent. We're doing it. You do that. You do that. <laughs> so. Yeah, so this prayer practice, I practice centering prayer as well, which is kind of like I trained in transcendental meditation, which is kind of Hindu. Um, mm. And it's its own thing. Uh, but if you look at the apex of most of the tr- the practices across the religions, there's there's the practice of silence, and bringing silence and self-emptying. I'm not saying physically self-emptying. You don't piss yourself, but you know you sit with quiet <laughs> for 20 minutes twice a day. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So centering prayer. So I, you know, I add examine the examine 
is probably the thing that I add, add most. And I do that at the end of the day. Okay. Hmm. Oh, so there's prayer and there's also fasting. And the thing that we want to give up now, Mormons are going to think, okay, I need to fast from food. But there are all sorts of things that, you know, as you rightly point out, that we can do with giving up on. Yeah. And, uh, and um, yeah, so it, it could be social media. It could be any type of food. Um, it, it's also, I mean, my fasting is, uh, I've got a number of things I'm working with this year, but really it's created, uh, fasting is sort of like, I'm fasting from cataphatic religion. So well, what is that? I know, it sounds kind of like a diet. Right. Um, <laughs> So there, there are two, two types of theology or two types of approaching Christianity. And one is that we make positive statements. This is this, or I believe this, or, the, you know, Jesus was God's son, mm-hmm. uh, or the church is true. Those are what we call cataphatic religions, uh, statements. Uh-huh. And apophatic is the opposite. We say what something is not. Okay. Or we give up the need to say that something is. So it's, it's a quieter, more contemplative, meditative space you, to be in. So something, what's that? Some, can you give me some examples? Um, okay. So you might say, uh, so a cataphatic statement would be Jesus is God's son, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a whole lot of theology and understanding that pours out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, an apophatic religion statement might be Jesus is not, not God's son. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) But can you see the difference in the tension between the two? Yeah. So we're not requiring Jesus to be God's son, but we're not denying it either. Huh? So it's not like we're saying Jesus is not God's son. We're saying Jesus is not, not God. Because if you say Jesus is not God's son, then it's, that's just as cataphatic. Right. Right. So we kind of do the double And then everybody's right. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. It's just an floor on their own. (laughs) That's right. It's very spacious. (laughs) Like, you know, the church is true. The church is not true. Or how about the church is not, not true. (laughs) (laughs) So it puts you in the question, right? Uh Uh-huh. It, it causes you to embrace, to be in the space, but the, the paradox of between is and isn't. Mm-hmm. It causes you to, to, to be in that place where you give up the need for one thing or the other. So you're living in this kind of third dimension, I think. Yeah. Okay. It's, it, it's a very gentle. It's very gentle. Yeah. Interesting. So that's what he gave up for, for, for Lind. <laughs> the cataphatic <laughs> you gave up okay so you gave up the the black and white basically yeah yeah and you went for the double negative gray questioning area yes okay okay i'm there i'm there continue yeah. <laughs> so, you know the, the thing where it doesn't it just it is what it is and it doesn't need to be either or it can just be what it is okay so you allow the thing to be what it is. You just need to listen and learn what that thing is. You don't have to assign it anything. You don't have to assign it anything. Like I'm completely disinterested. You, there's kind of what we call um, a holy disinterest. Huh. In it being anything in particular. 
you know? So it's kind of post-theological. Your theology is trying to create theories and systems out of the idea of God, but the apophatic just lets it be. Yeah. There's a beeness about it. Yeah. And remember how I told you when you asked me what, I think when we first started talking about having this conversation, you asked me like, well, do you believe in God? And I was like, I'm an apathetic agnostic atheist. Like I really don't care. Mm -hmm. But now you have provided like before that was like a, to me, that was, it tasted a bit negative, but you have created it. You, you called it the, the holy apathy or something like you holy indifference a holy indifference and i'm like that's right that's right i can be that can be an okay space for me to be in it can still be oh it's holy (laughs) it is it should be holy it should be holy being in that space of absence and divine absence is absolutely a holy place to be and we got to hold the tension right that that that's the paradox that you know, people say, I never feel the spirit or, you know, I don't, you know, I've got all of, and, and Mormonism often leads you with all sorts of spiritual pathologies and allergies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I can do anything, it would be to say, look, just let it go. Let it go. Let everything go, which is not life-giving. And be in that space of nothingness, because what a gorgeous space that is. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a holy practice. And it's full of the possibility and it, it, it is completely outside of the black and white that was Mormonism. Mm. Just Mm. so mothering and it becomes the possibility. I love it. Right. Yeah. You don't even need to kind of like ascribe it any meaning. Like, you know, a lot of people like, what's the goal of nothingness? Like, I mean, (laughs) doesn't need to be you know Joan Chittis is one of my favorite um Benedictine um theologians who said that you know we enter into a period of darkness and and Lent is about going into the darkness mm-hmm. and letting it go and today the lectionary reading was about Jonah and how like, I just think that's a hilarious story anyway and it's try it's very difficult for me to do anything but laugh and laugh and laugh about that story but the whole idea is that like he's swallowed up metaphorically by a whale right uh-huh. so he kind of he, he kind of sits in that space of not knowing and you know my favorite one of my favorite mystics is john o'donohue and joan chittister who say we need to be grateful for the darkness because darkness is where the growth occurs mm-hmm. and i you know i see so many mormons who are like oh ah, you know on this you know, are in the darkness, but won't accept the darkness because everything has to mean something. Right. Cause like, that's what you know, taught. Yes. But what if it doesn't? Yeah. I think that was one of the what if aha moments for me leaving Mormonism is like, it was the, like the rug pulled out of me moment where I'm like, wait, if I don't believe in all of this stuff that I've been taught from my childhood, this religion, quote unquote, then what's the purpose of life and what is this world that I live on and what is my existence? And, and it was scary. And, and then as I worked through that panic, like that panic took months to work through. I'm not going to lie. It was rough. But once I got to the end of it, I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. And that feels peaceful. Like I'm good. Right. Yeah. I'm good. It doesn't matter. What matters is my life here and now and the difference I'm making 
to the people in my life here and now. Like, that's what matters to me. Not this hypothetical when I die and before I was here. Like, who cares? That, does, that has no relevance on my here and now. So mm. now I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I expect you do care, but in a different way. I guess. Sure. It's interesting. It's a fun thing to ponder, but it's not like this panicky feeling that I was taught no. as a like, you don't know where you're going when you die. Like, that's the, the missionary line, right? How can you not know? These people that don't know, like, oh, you know, like, they're going to dwindle and perish in unbelief. And it's this, this, like, gnashing and wailing and this misery. And I'm like, it's not, though. Like, stop assigning that to people. Like, respect them where they are. Right, right. And then when you give up that fear, right? I mean, that's, that's a very Christian concept as well. When you give up that fear, um, love just enters. Right. So if you're afraid of death and you, and you get to a point where you say, I, ne I need to give up my pathology, my, my disordered attachment to the prospect of death, mm -hmm. the surprise is always that it's immensely peaceful. And in that peace, you're expanded into loving more things that you might have otherwise done. That's the trick of it. Right. That's why darkness is so great. Yeah, because fear kind of ruins a lot of things. <laughs> You right. don't see a lot of <laughs> you're scared. You don't you don't stop to smell the roses because you're afraid. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. It's motivating though. I feel like that that <laughs> whole fear thing embodies Mormonism though, and my existence in Mormonism. Like mm. there's yeah. so much it's fear the shadow mother. side of it. Yeah. yeah. So where are we? We've got to prayer and fasting and then the almsgiving. Did you kind of cover that at the beginning? Like letting something go? Is that what almsgiving is or no? Well, fasting is about fasting is about letting something go, right? Okay. Uh -huh. So you know, often we think that's just food, but sometimes it's it's uh, whatever we need to create a little bit more spaciousness and not knowingness in us. Mm -hmm. uh, wherever our pathology is, where we and in Ignatian spirituality, we talk about disordered attachments, the thing that we are clinging on to because we are afraid of our own suffering. Hmm. That sounds very Buddhist, but you know, it's all the same. Um, so an almsgiving is having a period of generosity. So at the same time, you're balancing this giving away something um, with um, giving something. Mm -hmm. So if I've got excess, then I give. So almsgiving is, uh, is a, you know, a, a practice, a length practice as well. So how do you practice that, Gina? Um, I don't know, really. I, I haven't figured that one out. I mean, I get more phys more kind of uh, um, generous. Yeah. Uh, financially. But, you know, I will say that I do have an issue. That this is my own pathology. I do have an issue with what was required of us financially yeah. as Mormons and what's well, still required. It doesn't have to be financial. There's so many different ways that you can give. Of giving. I mean, yes. You're giving right now, Gina. You can count this as your almsgiving for today, right? Oh, hurrah. Hallelujah. <laughs> you're I'm saved. Me. You're teaching me <laughs> and my listeners about Lent and what we can learn from it from a secular perspective, at least for me. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's generosity, right? You just, to be generous. And you're generous yeah. too. I mean, we're generous. With, um, I think Mormons do generosity really well. Mm-hmm. Like we have this radical hospitality uh -huh. uh, and, and you know, I think that's part of who we are. Like, I think, I think I've got to tell you, 
uh-huh. I think Mormons make the best Protestants and Catholics ever, right? Yeah. Because they've been, they've been told to, you know, sacrifice themselves for the sake of the community. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to another church, I mean, like they just don't expect to be paid. They um, just you know, they hard. don't, they work really hard and they, you know, if they're not going to go, they call somebody. And when I first, uh, you know, I had a day off church when I first started attending my Anglican church. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be there. I need to message the priest, <laughs> let her know. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> sure, sure, sad that you're not going to be there, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, we, and we're very generous and we know how to do stuff, right? We know how to speak. We know how to mm-hmm. do music and sing and stuff like that. And um, Make funeral potatoes, yeah. you know, casserole. Yes. Potlucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's that Mormon arms giving that we do all the time is just part of our nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, interesting. So, so does, prayer, fasting, arms giving. Does that, so those three things, does that encompass your Lent then, or is there more? No, that's it. That's all. Okay. And then now, I do, I do Lent meditations. Mm-hmm. So, I work really really through the lectionary, the Lent lecture, the lectionary over Lent, which you're all focused on, on Lent. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I take it pretty seriously, but these are all kind of private practices and devotions. Yeah. Uh, and they just kind of like create a container for whatever's going on mm-hmm. and, and, and points of focus. I think, you know, I, I think Christianity um, has really good ways and practices that have developed over, you know, millennia mm-hmm. for us to use to help us focus our spiritual attention and to shape our spiritual selves. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, Buddhism does as well, and all, most of the the yeah, traditions do. So I just yeah. choose to be Christian. I like it. Yeah, and I know it. Yeah. Wow. So there we are. Yeah. Lent. You do. <laughs> Well, I think this is great. So you've given me a framework, a really deep understanding of all that Lent has to offer. And then I can then decide what works for me and give it some more depth in my life, I think is really important. And and something that I've also thought about is that Lent, the, the ideas that you know, to do these practices of meditation and something for a set amount of time, we can really do that at any time during the year. Like we're not limited to just this Catholic religious practice. Like it can be something that we're like, Hey, this is something that I really want to do in my life. Let's just set a, it's like goal setting and it doesn't have to be at the, at the beginning of a new year. It can be at any time. Hey, I want to do meditation. I'm going to do a a 30 day goal. I'm going to meditate every 30 days, you know, once for 30 days. And, you know, we can do those sort of things. But I've always just kind of used Lent as an excuse, as an mot- external motivation because other people in my life are doing it. So they're going to keep me accountable and, and it means something. Whereas if I just started this random 30-day goal in the middle of the year, I'm going to be like, that's weird. What's she doing over there? You know? I don't know. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it, we, because we, we come back to that point, like we're social and we're corporate people and we'd mm-hmm. like to see each other doing the same thing around. And look, think right. about it this way, you know, in the Mormon tradition, it just it's, there's a lot of sameness. We don't have a liturgical year. We don't have a lectionary. We just uh-huh. kind of, it's just sort of like muddies into the sameness. I think the most rhythm we have 
is working in Sunday school through the standard works or general conference. But you kind of never know from one week to the next. So you could always be nobbled to repent. Like, you know, like when you could be asked to repent, repent every kind of June, July, August, September, right through to December. Think about it this way. Lent only, you're really only bothered by it for 40 days a year. And then you're off. <laughs> you're off the hook. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound very Catholic. That does not sound heavy in the guilt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Gina, for sharing. Hopefully I have made a good case for, for secular Lent. Who knows? I'm sure my, my listeners will give me feedback. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm sure. They, and, and I think, I mean, what a, what a lovely thing to do. And as I say, you know, if it's not secular, then it's not spiritual. So even if you hate the idea of it being a spiritual Lent, then it, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it still is because uh, the spiritual asks us to dig deep mm-hmm. and, and, to, you know, and that could be change a second, and transform. Right. Of and course. Of course. A, yeah. a beauty, beauty well outside of religion for sure. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gina. It was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. Now also, um, uh-huh. I'm in Salt Lake city. Can I just do a little plug? I'm in Salt Lake city in a couple do of it. weeks time. And on, March the 30th, we're having a Lent retreat at St. Mark's, uh, at the Wasatch Retreat Centre, which is downtown. March 30th. Second South. Yeah, yeah. It's a day of reflection. And the theme is, the Lenten theme is farewelling God. Hmm. So I should get so this if you kind of, before March 30th. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you might disappoint some people if you get it out <laughs> later on. <laughs> like, I missed it. <laughs> so if you have a pathology, if you want to say goodbye to God, the God that's no longer useful, then this is a really good day of reflection to do that. Interesting. Send God on God's way. Yeah, get rid of it. Yeah, it's, like oh, con- it's like a KonMari to God. Thank you. Goodbye. <gasps> yes, and it will spark joy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thank you. Okay, I will. My goal then is going to be March 25th. So hopefully I make it. So that way people can okay. make it to see you in Salt Lake on March 30th. Good one. Excellent. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you and, so much. And have a joyous and dark Lent. Oh, yes. And that may, has so much more meaning to me now. <laughs> <laughs> may it be miserable. <laughs> wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers! <laughs>